Lord, we're so thirsty for you. As we've sung this morning, and as Brian and John have testified, by getting up early to seek you, we're hungry for you, we're thirsty. We need more of you. And especially as we encounter your word today, we want to be transformed. You're the transforming agent. And we want to be fed by what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't worry, I'm not leaving yet. Actually, I saw Brian Carlson do this once at a kid's kid's sermon, so I'm just copying him. This is the key. Guess whose name is on it? Henry Ford's. That's right. But if I could, I would like to inscribe three other names on this key. Those names would be Avery, Martin, and Sorensen. Now, Henry Ford is credited with making the automobile very affordable, as he should be. He's also credited with some great workplace improvements. It's amazing how workers stick around when you pay them double what the industry would be paying, and when you shorten their work week. (laughs) He revolutionized that. But he didn't act alone. He was a part of a wonderful sacrificial team. Clarence Avery was the lead developer of this moving assembly line. He was the creative problem solver on the team that cut the assembly time of the Model T from 12.5 to 2.7 man hours. By his side was Peter Ed Martin. Ed Martin was the head of assembly. He was the leader of the assembly crew, just a longtime leader in Ford. And then inseparable from Martin was a guy named Charles Sorensen. And he was the assistant head of assembly, and he's the one who designed and built. He would translate Ford sketches into actual machine parts. And Sorensen's the guy, when they were thinking through the whole moving assembly line, he actually pulled a chassis of a Ford with a rope and pulled it past different guys to see, hey, could this work? Could we get this automated? But these three guys were sacrificial. Sorry, these four, and they were actually, as you look through the documentation, it's hard to actually describe whose role is whose because they were so um, tied at the hip and they were so uh, uh, together in their work. Do you long, as I do, to be on highly effective teams where ordinary people do extraordinary things because of the effectiveness of their work together and the value of their mission? The Bible indicates that you were designed to be on a dream team. But why do so few of us experience effective teamwork? What's required for the team to achieve God's big dream? And why do powerful dream teams elude us at times? Last week, Brian opened this Dream Big, Think Small series with the idea that God is able to do from Ephesians way beyond what we ask or imagine. And that your growth is his glory. And today we will also look at how God has called us to dream big together. And similarly, it was two weeks ago that I ended our Shine series with the idea that in 2016, I wanted to make more of an individual kingdom impact. And it was Jesus speaking identity to me. Hey, you're the light of the world. That was a key to that. And likewise, I think that today God wants us to see how he wants all of us to make a kingdom impact together. And how together we can achieve his Big dreams. So, 
Where do we go to get inspiration, encouragement, and help for us being on a God-sized corporate dream team? It's a book some of you brought with you today. It's called The Bible. And I want to go back to a time in the Bible that was 500 years before Jesus came. Three personalities. One's a really fun one to say, Zerubbabel. Maybe we should name our child Zerubbabel. I don't know. We'll see. Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, in that order, were sent from Babylon, Babylon, where the Israelites had been enslaved for several years, for several decades, actually as part of God's disciplinary action on them. And then one by one, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah are sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Now, Ezra precedes Nehemiah, and he's the one who rebuilds the temple and brings that back up to speed. And then Nehemiah is the one who is tasked to rebuild the city. He's more the state. If uh, Ezra is church, Nehemiah is state, and he is charged with building the wall. And this is all facilitated because Babylon was falling, Persia was taking over, and the new empire of the time had a way more liberal policy of letting people follow their gods and go back to their homeland so that there'd be more happiness in the land, whereas Babylon was really harsh. So what I'd like us to do together is let's read Nehemiah 4, take a little chunk of Nehemiah 4. If you're looking for it, it's before Psalms, and it's going to be after all the history books, after your Samuels, Kings, and Chronicles. Then you get your... Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther. So Nehemiah 4, let's read this together out loud, following on the screen. We're going to read about half the chapter 4, starting at 10 and going to the end in verse 23. Let's read this together out loud, get the picture here. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said... They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, And to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction And half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. 
So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. I want to pull out a few things from this passage as it relates to dreaming big and what God wants to do through us, us being a dream team together for God's dreams. And what I'm pulling out overall is that sacrificing as a team is what allows God to achieve his big dreams. When we sacrifice as a team, we allow God to achieve his big dreams. And there's three aspects of this or three observations I have from this scripture regarding our sacrifice so that God can achieve his dreams. And the first is this, and it comes from the first few verses. Let's look, let's look at verses 10, 11, and 12 again. Okay. Um, I don't know if John, we can put that. Yeah. Okay. So 10 and 11. And so we're in the middle of building the wall here, right? The wall is getting rebuilt. And people are starting to get discouraged. And here's what it sounds like. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. This is tough. There's too much rubble. It's overwhelming to rebuild this thing. And by ourselves, we won't be able to rebuild that wall. Our circumstances are often overwhelming. We see the rubble. We feel our discouragement. And we feel isolated. We hear only the voice of negativity from time to time. For example, let me just give a snapshot right now for reasons why where I stand, I could be tempted to be discouraged. We're, we're entering year nine, believe it or not, at the harbor. And we've said from the beginning that we want to plant churches. And how many churches have we planted so far? Yeah, yeah zero. Okay. We have uh, been through a cycle. We, we've started out saying that small groups are a huge part of who we are. Guess how many small groups we have running right now? Yeah, one or two. We've got our Tuesday morning turbo group. We've got the Miriams leading an awesome family faith group. We have Sarah Booth leading a great group on pause. Their family is reproducing, so pause for them. And, you know, but the point is, is it's not the healthiest place we've been as a church regarding our small groups. We don't have, we don't have, we are not paying a children's worker right now. You know, a key ministry for us is our children's worker, and we're not paying them right now. We have an incredible team of worshipers who cycle through leading worship. We don't have a worship leader who is kind of leading the charge there. And there's a little bit of fatigue on our setup crew. I'll tell you that. Again, when I look at just the rubble, that's what I see. That's what I see. And then, not to mention, now we get to verses 11 and 12. Don't worry, I'm going to come back on that. I'm not, I'm not going to leave us at that place because we have tons of hope and Jesus has tons of hope. Um, 11 and 12, the other thing is we also have to understand that we are opposed in what we do. Right? Look at this. Our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. In other words, you got a threat from an enemy saying, before you know it, boom, you'll be done. Right? I'm going to crush you. I'm going to sneak attack on you. Right? And then 12 is a little bit uh, ambiguous, ambiguous, excuse me, but I, my thoughts are these. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. In other words, how I read that is from the inside, people are saying, stop it. You know, just stop the work. Insiders are coming against you. 
And do you know that that happens when the body of Christ, when we decide that, as John Neal mentioned, we want to see the greatest awakening come? Do you know that we start to pursue God's big dreams like let's ignite a church planning movement in New England. Let's believe for the greatest awakening awakening. We deliberately send people into Muslim places so that um, for the sake of the gospel, we have to know that we will be opposed. We are not choosing the comfortable path of least resistance. So when we see the rubble, when we have the discouragements, what am I saying? I'm saying one of the things that we must sacrifice together is comfort. Okay, the first thing we sacrifice together is comfort. The comfort that we could have by just having a model of church that says, let's meet on Sundays and see you later. Or the comfort of, hey, we'll leave the Great Commission to other people or to the parachurch or whatever. We'll leave that to, the, to them. There's all sorts of ways that we could be way more safe and way more comfortable. But when we start to get on mission with God, When we start to be about achieving, seeing his God dreams achieved, the first thing we sacrifice as a team is some of our comfort. We have to let some of that go. So let us not be surprised by the discouragements we face. All of hell, so I've got news for us today, all of hell is actually against us. As we've signed up for the greatest rescue effort in human history, we've signed up for the greatest awakening. We're asking God to come. But it's sacrificing as a team that allows God to achieve his big dream. And one of the things that we're sacrificing, we're sacrificing the comfort of not rocking the boat. Sacrificing as a team is how God achieves his big dream. And the first thing we sacrifice is comfort. We see it with these these, uh, Judeans who are sacrificing the comfort opposed. Okay, second observation I have about as we sacrifice as a team... So that God can achieve his big dreams. The second thing I notice, it's more of an observation, and that is we, we will sacrifice. We are often motivated by sacrificing for the people of God's team. We will sacrifice for the people of God's team. And it's just good for us to be in touch with that. And here's what I mean. Let's actually look at, um, if we can look at verse 14. This part got me jazzed. It's got me excited. So listen to how Nehemiah stirs them up. And I looked, you know, think of it. All they're looking at is rubble. It's all they can see. All they're hearing is the voices of discouragement saying, stop it. And this is what he says. And I looked, verse 14, and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. First thing he says is, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord. He's great. And he is awesome. If you and I sacrifice for connection, meaning we sacrifice because of our connections to God and to people, then one of the first connections we need to revisit, revive, or feed. Again, I'm just, I'm so jazzed by John's testimony. Is, of course, our intimacy with Jesus, right? It's intimacy with Jesus that's a key. It's our individual internal victories. They're a key to the corporate external victories. I found myself this last fall in speaking with different students, drawing a picture of an iceberg over and over again, actually in the back half of the semester. And I drew that iceberg for several students. And my point that I was making was I drew the waterline. And of course, what is above the waterline is about 10% of the iceberg. And what's below the waterline is about 90% of the iceberg. And my pleading, my cajoling, my encouraging, my teaching was... Hey, will you spend time with Jesus? 
while you make it a habit, while you're in college and you have more discretionary time than you'll ever have again, make it a habit of attending to the 90% of your life that none of us will see, but will certainly feel from you. If you're connecting with Jesus on a regular basis, if you're pursuing him in his word, if you are in prayer, believing that he wants to help you find lost binkies, you know, and that he wants to save Syria, you know, everything, the whole gamut. If you build that friendship with Jesus, that 90% is awesome. See, your internal victories, if a lot of us are experiencing internal victories, if a lot of us are tending to the 90%, then the 10% that we show to each other and that we gather around on Sundays and as we're doing what we do in our cities, it's powerful. So we are motivated to sacrifice by our connection first to Jesus. Remember the Lord. He's awesome. Remember the Lord. He's awesome. And attend to your insides. Because passion for Jesus cannot help but result in a care for his church and a grace to embrace the messiness of it all. You know, Colossians 1 is so good about saying, Jesus, he's the head. But he's the head of what? He's the head of you and me. He's the head of the body. Okay? Again, we're just, I'm I'm trying to, I'm unpacking this thing that I noticed that we're most motivated by others. And so when we get a heart for Jesus, when that, when we are attending to the 90% under the waterline, we'll be motivated to sacrifice here so that God can do his big dreams. And the other part you notice from that verse 14, it said, remember the Lord, he's awesome and mighty. And then he says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your wives, your daughters, and your homes. Now, this is really speaking to me because on the, you know, on the Ephesians 4, gifting, pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, apostle, I'm way pastoral. You know, those five, that's me. So I know what I get excited for. I fight for people. You know, I fight for people. And I've been fought for. I cannot really begin to express, even now that we have a little perspective on it, Kelsey and I's gratitude to you. Because in 2014, when we found ourselves quite bewildered and quite waylaid by our own discouragement, this church rallied around us and said, four months, and let's get you what you need to get resourced. That was awesome. So thank you for fighting for me. Thank you for fighting for us. I had the privilege in December, actually with Nicholas and myself and David Connectley, who's not here. We found ourselves <laughs> kind of suckered into, in a great way, a great little men's choir experience this last fall. And so, you know, one of the things that we did in December with this men's choir, a Christian choir, we went to sing at... Middlesex, or sorry, the, the, um, yeah, the Middleton, it's the Essex County Jail in Middleton. And, you know, I have to repent a little bit because at first I'm thinking, how effective it, you know, there's going to be a bunch of old white men singing at, you know, these, these prisoners who are, you know, actually we found out pretty equally distributed racially, you know, African-American, Hispanic, and white, but, you know, largely young. And I just thought, okay, God, I, you know, just the cultural disconnect here is so great. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. But you know what happened was it's Christmas. And so the time where I felt the presence of God fall on us was 
when we, when we sang together. Like, yes, we sang at them. You know, we would sing. They would beatbox. They'd start to, you know, we'd be singing like our, and they're like, great. And, but then we invited them throughout to sing with us. And we just sang the, you know, the oldies but goodies, joy to the world. And the presence of God came because here we were all together, equal before the cross, crying out to God. And the thing I'm, I'm getting at is this. From that experience, everything in me rose up and said, I want to fight for these people. You know, I want to fight for them to have a chance to know the gospel. They're very hungry. They are very hungry because at Middleton, half of them have not yet been tried. And so they have no idea what is going on, whether they are going to be let go or whether they're going to be in jail for a long time. So there's some hunger in that room. There's some desire for God. But my, what I'm saying is that everything in me wanted to fight for them, to have a chance to hear the gospel, to have a chance to connect with Jesus. And so if you notice, whether it's the prisoner, whether it's your son, your daughter, your wife, whoever, you know, often, I, you know, my experience weekly is as I we, meet with different ones of you and you share where you're at, everything in me rises up and says, hey, we're fighting for you. I know this is hard in your family. You had a bad semester. This is tough. And I say, oh, we're fighting for you. So. Again, my observation here is that if, like me, because I'm more pastoral, I am not always naturally motivated by the mega projects, but I find myself always motivated by the people. And so I notice that we will sacrifice for connection, right? Isn't that your experience too? You hear someone share something with you like, hey, I'm hurting, or this is bad, and I'm having a hard time. There's something within you because you got the spirit of God within you, and it rises up and says, I'm going to fight for you. So we sacrifice for connection we sacrifice for people so if you find yourself pulling away emotionally from the church if you find yourself pulling away emotionally from god's dreams or if you're doubtful of the mission success i just encourage you to position yourself both for intimacy with jesus that connection there or position yourself in a place to fight for others if the macro level stuff is too much at least press into the micro. Because what I found is if this church, which it is, but if this church continues to have all those kinds of interactions, people will get together and say, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. Let's do this together. Come on. Let's do this together. Or, and, you're, and we're doing it internally, but we're also doing it with the people we experience. You know, Ooh, I'm going to fight for these prisoners. I'm going to call out for my coworker. If we do that together, the kingdom will come. God will achieve his big dream. Sacrificing a team as a team, don't sacrifice a team. Sacrificing as a team allows God to achieve his big dreams, and we are motivated by others. All right, the third observation I have is we have this incredible litany of inconveniences that comes up starting at verse 15. Just look at the sacrifices of these people, of Nehemiah, the leaders, and really all the guys stationed around this wall. And if, it's an impressive list. If you look at Nehemiah 3 before this, the list of the number of clans and where they were working, you saw the picture of their, you know, the architect, an architect has rendered what Jerusalem looked like in that day. You know, you can see it was pretty impressive, the number of people and, and clans that were coordinated to build this wall. This is what they're doing. I'm just going to look at it again. All right, so they each return to their work. Verse 16, half my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, coats of mail, right? Leaders stood behind. Leaders couldn't check out. They had to be right behind the house of Judah, making sure that if anything happened, because they were spread out, that they could coordinate a defensive action. 
John, why don't we look at the next slide? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, again, totally inconvenient. Half the, you know, they, they have to uh, do the labor. They've got the shovel in one hand, the spear in the next. And, sorry, I'm just looking through this. Yep. And, John, why don't we move forward one more? They separate. Right? So they have this plan for how they're going to get together. And, uh, and then we have the length of the days, right? Look at verse 21. We labored at work. Half of them held the spirits from break of dawn until stars came out, until twilight. And then, listen, look, verse 22 and 23. First we have, everyone spend the night here. Don't go back to your homes. It's all hands on deck. Stay here in Jerusalem. And lastly, in verse 23, we're not even getting out of our clothes, right? There's just a litany of things that are inconvenient for everybody. It's not really convenient. So the third observation I have as God calls us to sacrifice as a team so that God can achieve his big dreams is we all suffer inconveniences at times. Now, remember, this wasn't a sustained deal. Anyone remember how long they, how long this took? It's incredible. From your project manager, this is like, wow. Okay, we'll come back to it. I'll tell you. Someone look up. I see Matt Newby on this. What's that? Four and a half years, way less, way less, incredibly less. Project managers dream way less than four and a half years. It was on time and ahead of schedule, actually. All right. You guys look that up. Tune me out for a second. <laughs> As I, <all> right. <laughs> so litany of inconvenience, right? They were not able to do the work unhindered, right? They had to have their divided attention. I don't know about you, but I hate that. I hate it when I, you know, it's like, okay, I'm trying to write a sermon and I'm watching the kids or, you know, I'm, ah, you know, you're, you're divided attention, but, um, so these guys split attention. Other inconveniences. The leaders had to be right there for the encouragement protection of the people. They all weren't doing what they were good at. Again, if you look at Nehemiah 3, there were perfumers and tanners and other guys who were building the wall. Not everyone got to do what they were good at. They had to do the work in isolation. You know, they were far from each other. They may not have been able to be where they wanted to be geographically. They couldn't really enjoy a normal home life. Just for a season. At times, we sacrifice convenience i'll never forget during my college years when the man who will speak to us on the saturday morning of world mandate jimmy seibert it's kind of the apostolic leader of our movement there's a season during my college years where he and a couple of the leaders were getting together at 4 30 in the morning can you beat that carlson 4 30 <laughs> let's get religious just kidding. So but they, there was a season. It wasn't forever, but it was for a season. They needed, I don't know what, I can't remember what the spiritual push was, but it was, we need to pray this thing through. And so for maybe a semester, they said, we're getting up at 4.30. I can't remember if it was, I think it was just one day a week. You're off the hook. So, or whatever. But they did it to push. Brian's got us at 5.30. I think it's got to multiply. I, mean, I think it's awesome. I don't know if Brian's plans are due for the rest of his life at 5.30, maybe. But I think it'd be great if other of you start to lead those things, right? We need some of you champions to pray and say, hey, I'll take Tuesday. I'll take Wednesday. You didn't know I was going to say this. I don't know if that's your plan. But it's just good to multiply things. Anything that's organic grows. And so that's got to grow. You know, when you lead faith group for a semester or a year, when you, um, when you serve on Compass or at Sunday service or on the worship team, right? There's, there's a night of the week or there's a time on a Sunday where you're, it's not convenient for you. I, I see I see your kids running around. It's not always convenient, but you're doing it because why? Because you're sacrificing as a team so that God can achieve his big dream. So at times of push, we sacrifice convenience in order to establish something. It's not meant to be sustained for years and years, 
But at times, we sacrifice convenience so we can establish. I haven't got the answer yet. Nehemiah 6, how many? 52 days. Again, I don't know that what the state of the wall was when they got there, but I, I don't know. I look at that picture of Jerusalem. Yeah, it's rubble. I mean, it looks like not bad, team. Sacrificing as a team allows God to achieve his big dream. Again, we've noticed that at times we're called to sacrifice comfort. We notice that we sacrifice for Jesus, for one another. It's just good to be in tune with that. And we also know that at times we sacrifice convenience. But here's the good news. If you're sitting there feeling like a heavy, if I, I would, in your shoes, I'd be feeling a little bit heavy right now. Here's the relief. The relief is that Jesus' sacrifice is the source of ours. In other words, God isn't looking at you and me and saying, let's just exhaust all your human potential. He's saying, let's tap into God. And Jesus' sacrifice is the source of our sacrifice. I love what Psalm 127 says. And what, it, what Psalm 127 does is it invites us to a little conversation with God. When we feel like it's time for us to sacrifice some comfort so that the team can come together, so God's dream can happen, when it's time to sacrifice some convenience, when we're motivated to fight for someone else, here's a good litmus test or a good grid, a good prayer. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, Nehemiah was clearly called by God to lead this work. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, because he gives to his beloved sleep. So there's a there's just a good balance here in the scripture. We are invited to be part of the dream team, right? Henry Ford did some rad stuff. He did it because he had a dream team. We're being invited to do some rad stuff for the kingdom. It's going to cost us something. But you know, it's got to be a God's invitation. And there just has to be some process there for you and with your friends to process through, hey, is God calling me to this? Should we do this? Because there's a God factor there. That makes it work. Nehemiah was clearly fueled by the spirit of God. And I feel like Paul articulates this really well in Colossians 1. Paul said this. Jesus we proclaim. Warning everyone. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. Because here's his goal. I love. I, I keep hearing Carlson say this about our church. He keeps saying he wants us to be mature. Paul's goal was that he wanted to present everyone mature in Christ. He wants all of us to be mature in Christ. And how does Paul do this? By tearing his hair out, being anxious. I mean, man, he actually, he went through a lot of stuff, right? Shipwrecks, prison, floggings. It's going to be a great message, isn't it? It's very lightweight today. But he says, for this I toil. I want everyone to be mature. But listen to this. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So I know there's a mystery here. I can't parse it for you, but I can just invite you into it. I can invite you into a conversation with Jesus that says, okay, Jesus, you're calling me here. You got to fuel this thing internally. You know, speaking that 90% under the iceberg, I need you to be there, Jesus. And there'll be days we're weary. There's days we're sad. There's days it seems like we're defeated, but we're going to keep moving on. This wall will be built. The kingdom of God will come in the North shore. The greatest awakening will come in the United States and on the earth. It's just, who's going to, Who's going to be already comfortable with this economy of Jesus working inside you and that being the source of your toil? 
His sacrifice is the source of your sacrifice as we sacrifice that God's dreams can be achieved. Amen? All right. Well, I'm going to invite Jenna and the band back up, and I'm going to lead us through a few angles here that you can just process with Jesus. Speaking of that 90% that's under the waterline that God sees and he loves, even if it's messy. Sacrificing as a team allows God to achieve his big dreams. At times we sacrifice comfort, at times we sacrifice convenience, and all the time we're motivated out of our connection to God and to others. The question that I want you to process, and I'll lead us in prayer in a second, is where have you disengaged with God's big dreams? Is there a particular dimension? You know, we, ob- we observe three of them. Is there a particular dimension of sacrifice that God is highlighting today? Is it the comfort piece? Remember that piece was, hey, I don't want to overextend. It's, you know, I don't want to be, you know, like, um, I don't want to take too many risks. Either in my workplace or with my family. I don't want to take too many risks. I just need to stay comfortable. Is that the place where God is highlighting? Is it the other place, the convenience part? Where some of you, God's just calling you, hey, can you just try to show up one day a week, 5.30 a.m. at prayer? I mean, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm under the gun here too. I, haven't, I don't usually do that. Sorry, I'll just confess that. We're still working on our family dynamics. I'll just put it under that excuse. <clears throat> like how our mornings go with small kids. That's my excuse right now. So, so is God inviting you to a very kind of clear sacrifice or a convenience piece? Or is the connection piece something you need to address? Connection with Jesus or like willingness to fight for others? Which dimension of the sacrifices that we looked at is God highlighting today? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of Nehemiah. As as scripture itself indicates, it's not just a nice story, but it's meant to teach us. Thank you for this testimony we have of a man and his team fueled by the Spirit of God who achieved a big God dream on the backs of their sacrifice as a team. We We all long for the glory of team. We don't always want the sacrifice part. So Holy Spirit, will you recorrect and or correct and redirect as you need to in our souls? And Holy Spirit, we're just inviting you to highlight in us. Are there places where we are resistant to sacrificing some comfort, being too 
where we're just a little too risk averse. Show us, Lord, in your gentleness, kindness, and love. Or are there places where it's just a matter of inconvenience for a season that you're calling us to? And Holy Spirit, we invite you again to give us the gift of intimacy with Jesus, that connection there for which we're, you know, we're, we are astounded by the cross and the natural response is, yes, Lord, you know, I'm yours. Or, Lord, give us grace to fight for our brothers and sisters on our right and our left. Maybe that's the place you're calling us to sacrifice. And knowing the range of personalities and personality types in this room, we need you, Holy Spirit, to apply the balance that comes with Psalm 127 and Colossians 1. Paul toiled, but with your energy. Psalm 127 paints a picture that if we're up early and bed late, anxiously toiling, if it's not from God, And it's really to no end. So Holy Spirit, help us with all the corrections we need regarding margin in our lives, emotionally, physically, financially. Put it all together for us in each case. Thank you, Holy Spirit.